0: I invite you to open your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 or your app, or if you don't have access to either one of those, there should be a Bible in a rack near you, help yourself, and if you do not have a Bible of your own, we'd love for you to take that and make it yours. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, to read it, to learn a lot, God's life-giving truth. To help get us thinking about our focus today, I want to start with a quote. It goes like this. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their hope, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, when they are harsh and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. That's the opinion of Christian author Sheldon Venakin, and I think he's right. Jesus called his followers the light of the world, the salt of the earth. He said his followers would be his witnesses and take his good news to people who don't know him, who haven't heard. But as Vinokin points out, those of us who know Jesus, those of us who have come to put our faith in him, uh, we can either be a great argument for his message or we can be a strong argument against it. It all depends on how we live. It all depends on how we relate to other people, and that's why we need to understand bridge building, spiritual bridge building. Jesus, without question, is the greatest bridge builder of all time because he bridged the deepest gap there is, the gap between us and our creator, our God, because of our sin, and he he bridged that gap. He did what we could not do. He did that by going to a cross, by taking our death penalty, and making a way in Himself for us to cross over from death to life. And once we've crossed over, then He, he calls us to build bridges into other people's lives To help bring them to the place where they also can put their trust in Him and cross over from death to life. That's the idea of of bridge building. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we are learning from a master bridge builder, the Apostle Paul, uh, who is showing us by his own example how to build relational bridges into people's lives. Uh, people who need to know, people who need to know, who need to respond, who need to cross over from death to life. Uh, spiritual bridge building was a was a top priority in Paul's life. It was so important to him, and he wants it to be a top priority in the lives of his readers. In our lives, uh, unfortunately, his first readers, the Corinthians. Well, they had become far more concerned about doing their own thing. Far more concerned with exercising their rights, with their freedoms, with doing whatever they wanted to do. And you know what? It's actually fairly easy to do that. We can so easily get preoccupied with our own stuff, with our own agendas, and, and, and just kind of forget that Jesus has called those of us who know him to, to build bridges into people's lives so they can know him. So last time we were here in 1 Corinthians 9, we, we looked at verses 1 through 18. Uh, today we're looking at verses 19 through the end of the chapter. So there's a note sheet in your folder, and um, if you're there in your Bible or have the note sheet... Uh, We begin at verse 19. And Paul says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So we began last time looking at a couple of ways to become better bridge builders. The first was reinforce what you say with what you do. In other words, make sure your, your life matches your lips. It's a principle of consistency. And then uh, this one, see yourself as responsible, not as generous, that's the principle of humility. And so that when we do build bridges, when we do share the good news, we're not doing some noble thing because of how great we are. We're simply doing what Jesus told us to do. So let's go on. Here's the third way. Avoid unnecessary cultural barriers. Avoid unnecessary cultural barriers. This is the principle of flexibility. We're trying to build bridges, not walls. And to do that, we've got to remember that the people we are trying to reach may belong to a different culture than we do. And we're going to need to adjust. We adjust to those cultural differences. That's what Paul means here by becoming all things to all people. He's talking about adjusting to the culture of the people that he's trying to reach with the good news of Jesus. So when he was reaching out to Jewish people, he adjusted to their culture. If he was trying to reach out to non-Jewish people, Gentiles, then he adjusted to their culture. Okay, what did that look like? Well, one big cultural adjustment he had to make had to do with food, believe it or not. Paul was Jewish, but he'd become a believer in Jesus, and he knew that as a believer in Jesus, he was no longer obligated to observe the dietary laws of the Old Covenant. So he knew, because Christ had come, those laws served their purpose, but in Christ. That purpose became fulfilled, and those dietary laws were no longer obligatory to him. But rather than insist on his freedom to eat however he wanted, whenever he wanted, whatever he wanted, rather than make a big deal about his freedom, he made sure that his eating did not create obstacles to sharing the good news. He wanted to make sure he was building bridges, not walls. So, for example, if he was invited to dinner in a Gentile home, uh, he'd eat whatever they served, whether it was kosher or not. Imagine if he had said, I'm sorry, this food just doesn't meet God's standards. I'm not going to eat it. What would that have done? Immediate obstacle, immediate barrier, and a necessary barrier. Because as far as the gospel is concerned, what we eat is irrelevant. On the other hand, if he was in a Jewish home, trying to reach those people with the good news of Messiah, he's not going to flaunt his freedom by pulling out of his sack lunch a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Why? Because that would have put up a huge obstacle. They would have thought, what is, what is the matter with this guy? That would have hindered the message. That's what counted, reaching them with the message. When your goal is to reach people with the good news of Jesus, you don't just trample all over their culture because it's not part of your culture. Just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you should do it. If doing it, whatever it is, is going to keep people from listening to the most important thing you could ever say. Jesus did not die on a cross just to give us more menu options. He died to set us free from sin and death and that's the message and to give us connection with God and if eating bacon is going to keep somebody from hearing that message it's not worth it it's not worth it I mean bacon's good but it's not that good (laughs) now this is easy to say oh avoid unnecessary cultural barriers that's really easy to say doing it not so much okay there are a lot of challenges here one of which is simply understanding other people's cultures. We have to actually, you know, try to get out of our culture and, and see what that culture is, and sometimes that's very difficult. I, uh, there was a missionary to the Philippines who was explaining one time some of the challenges of ministering to Filipino culture and how he was talking specifically about how important smooth interpersonal relationships are in Filipino culture. And so he, he told a story of a time a a Filipino friend came to visit him there in the Philippines. And he knew this guy must have had a very important reason for coming to talk to him because he had traveled a great distance. And so he kept waiting for this guy to get to the point. But this guy just kept talking about, you know, making what we would call small talk, very polite, asking lots of questions about family. How's so and so? How's your family? How's your family back in the United States? Just all of these questions. And the missionary's just getting frustrated. And he's thinking to himself, I wish this guy would just tell me what he wants because I've got a lot of work to do. See, there's a culture clash right there. Because to Americans, being productive, getting things done, you know, that's, that's a big deal. So finally, after over an hour, I guess, the man asked the question he had come to ask. Could he please borrow some money to get some important dental work done? Now, to the average American, this guy was wasting time. He's just beating around the bush. But see, in his culture, he was just being polite. You don't just go straight to the point. That's rude. That's disrespectful. That's dishonoring. Do you think that cultural difference could make a difference in how you share the gospel? Oh boy, you better believe it. But you won't even know that if you don't take the time to learn the culture, to try to get to know the culture and what's important instead of just, you know, Americans, get to the point. Maybe not so fast. Maybe not. Then what's even more challenging, or can be, is that some cultural issues involve moral issues of right and wrong, and you can only adjust so far. Paul says here that even though he's not under the law, and by that he means he's no longer obligated to observe the old covenant laws about food and sacrifices and such even though he's not under the, that law he's still under the law of christ what does he mean well it means there's still moral absolutes that he has to follow as a christian so for instance even though there might be some cultural instances in which it's okay to lie you know america you got the the white lie the lie that doesn't matter supposedly Um, that might that might be true in some cultural situations but it's not true with God lying's not okay with God maybe I think well would a Christian ever be tempted to lie to to not be truthful in sharing the gospel well I don't know can you think of any biblical teachings that might be unpopular that to be fully truthful about them might get you into hot water? I can think of a couple. See, balancing love and truth, man, that can be challenging. And Jesus is our ultimate example because Jesus in his earthly life was so completely loving and so courageously truthful. He was both. So he, he lovingly reached across all kinds of cultural boundaries, reached to, to Jews and to Samaritans and to Romans, uh, to religious people, to non-religious people, to prostitutes, to tax collectors, and he extended grace to people who were involved in all kinds of sin And he loved them in spite of their sin. But never once, never once did he affirm their sin. Did he celebrate their sin? Did he encourage their sin? Did he join them in their sin? Never. Instead, he called them to turn from their sin and follow him. And it's amazing. He consistently did that and people flocked to him because they knew we loved them. So the point is, we adjust to cultural differences wherever possible, wherever possible. Sometimes it's just not possible. But usually it is. There's usually cultural adjustments we can make and we must make if we really want to reach people with the good news. And uh, if we're honest, many times that's the bigger issue do we really want to reach people with the good news do we want to reach them enough to be culturally flexible even culturally uncomfortable so that they can know christ (laughs) is the more different the culture the more of the adjustment you have to make. It might involve eating food you don't like. (laughs) It might involve eating something you don't even think is food. (laughs) Or listening to music you don't like. Or going to places that don't feel comfortable. Hanging out with people who aren't like you. Being willing to be that strange person who doesn't quite fit in. Risking rejection, risking ridicule. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Yeah, be willing to adjust the culture. Don't, don't build unnecessary cultural barriers. Okay, next one. Accept short-term loss for long-term gain. Be willing to accept short-term loss for long-term gain. This is the principle of self-denial. Self-denial does not mean what many people think it means. Self-denial does not mean depriving yourself of some good thing because somehow that's inherently more spiritual than enjoying that good thing, whatever it is. As if it's always more spiritual, more holy, more godly to say no than to say yes. That's not true. That's not biblical. That's a false teaching. It's called asceticism. As if I become inherently more spiritual by not doing something I want to do. Now, what does it mean? The point of self-denial is not simply going without. It's going without something good in order to gain something better. And the example Paul gives us here makes us abundantly clear Athletics. Athletes must exercise self-denial in order to compete well and to win. And the Corinthians knew all about this. Paul, Paul is talking their language because their city, the city of Corinth, hosted a huge athletic competition every couple of years like the Olympics. And so athletes would come. And so he says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games, that's what he's talking about, goes into strict training athletes you know this you you know you've watched the olympics you they always had the little profiles How this you know high schooler got up at 4 a.m and went to the ice rink or whatever for hours before school they get up early they work out regularly they eat carefully so they can compete and win so get it In order to say yes to winning, they have to say no to other things. Things that would keep them from winning. They've got to say no to staying up late, sleeping in. They've got to say no to eating dessert. They've got to say no to spending their weekends doing some good things because they need to train instead. They have to discipline themselves to win. They give up some good things now so they can have something better later and that paul says they do all that for a prize that doesn't last do you know what prize the winners of the corinthian games got a little crown made of celery leaves seriously they did it for celery well, not really. They did it for the fame and the glory. But you know what? Salary doesn't last. Fame and glory doesn't last either. That's true of Olympic medalists. How long do people remember them? I was kind of wondering about this. How many in the room here are familiar? Is, if you're familiar with the name, Nadia Komenichi, raise your hand. How many? Well, that's more than I was expecting. About half. Some of you have no idea who I'm talking about. But... I don't remember which Olympic games. It was a long time ago. But she was like a household word for how amazing she was in gymnastics. But fame is fleeting. In another 50 years, nobody will remember. Fame is fleeting. And Paul's point is, if athletes will work that hard for a prize that doesn't last, if they will exercise that kind of self-denial for a prize that doesn't last... How much more should we exercise some self-denial for a prize that lasts forever, an eternal prize? See, building bridges is going to require self-denial. It just does. Some short-term loss for long-term gain. It requires saying no to some things you might really want to do so that you can say yes to something better. So, for example, I want you to think about your current schedule, your life right now, your current schedule. And if there's no time in your current schedule to pray regularly for people who you know don't know Christ, and there's no time in your schedule to spend time with them, if there's no time in your schedule to get to know them better and look for opportunities to to tell them to get to, to learn more about them and how to connect with them and share the good news with them, if there's no time then what are you currently doing that's good, but you need to say no to, so you can do those bridge building things? One more. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. This is the principle of determination. And what I find so impressive and so challenging, personally, about Paul's example is how absolutely serious he was about reaching people with the good news. I mean, he was so determined to connect people to the good news of Christ, to see them cross over from death to life. That he, would, he would do pretty much everything he could to make that happen he put up with all kinds of inconveniences all kinds of hardships why because he knew it was going to be worth it he knew it was going to be worth it he says verse 22 i've become all things to all people so that by all possible means i might save some saving people from eternal death is worth some inconvenience Verse 23, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Do you hear the earnestness there? What does he mean, sharing its blessings? I'm not sure. But whatever it is, it's so good that he gladly devoted his life to pursuing that prize. And he tells us, run in such a way to win the prize keep your eyes on the prize and run to win. Run to win. Run to win. You know what that tells me? That tells me if I'm not running to win, if I'm reluctant to accept short-term loss, if I'm reluctant or even unwilling to put up with inconveniences and cultural adjustments in order to build bridges into people's life, if I'm unwilling to say no to some good things so I can say yes to bridge building, you know what that tells me? It tells me I've gotten my eyes off the prize. And I've done that many times. I've gotten distracted by other things that might seem really important right now, might seem really good right now, but when I get to the finish line, they're not going to matter nearly as much. I keep focused on the finish line. Look at what Paul says in another place. This this is great. Uh, Some some other people that he had built a bridge to so that he could share the good news of Jesus so they could become believers in in Jesus and cross over. Look what he says, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-20. Paul says to them, What is our hope, meaning himself and his co-workers, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Now, do you see it? He's talking about the finish line. He's talking about being there. He's talking about being in the presence of Jesus and saying, what is it? What is it that's going to be my glory, my joy? What is it that's going to make me really excited, thrilled, Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Do you see what he's saying? You know what I'm going to be thrilled about when I'm there? You know what I'm going to be just so excited about when I'm with Jesus? He'd say, yeah, being with Jesus, that's all that matters. No. He's going to be thrilled to be with Jesus, but he says, I'm excited about you Being there with me. Us being there together. That's what thrills my soul. That's the prize I'm aiming for. The joy of seeing other people in the presence of Jesus and knowing that you had a part in making that happen. Because God used you to build a bridge into their life to bring them the good news that changed their forever. Let me finish with a question. And I'm asking myself this question, even as I encourage you to ask yourself this question. As you look at your life right now, Does your life look more like that of Paul or the Corinthians? Are you, like Paul, determined to build bridges to other people's lives so you can share the good news with them? Are you seeking to understand their culture and to flex where you can to connect with them? Are you willing to be inconvenienced so you can reach the goal are you focused on the prize or like the Corinthians are you mostly preoccupied with your own interests your own pursuits your own freedoms your own rights and if you're honest bridge-building just isn't that high of a priority My goal here is not to make anybody feel guilty. That's easy. And guilt by itself just isn't worth very much. That's not the goal. Unless guilt moves us to this. This is my aim. My aim is to call us who know Christ to a greater joy. To a greater fulfillment to a greater love let's don't settle for cheap imitations of a meaningful life let's pursue the real thing will you pray with me Lord Jesus, what you did to bridge the gap for us is at, well, words are just inadequate to describe how awesome what you did for us is. What you keep doing for us, you pursue us. You forgive us you love us and lord you've called those of us who know you to be bridge builders and lord we forget we get busy with other stuff we 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 lose sight of the goal we forget about the finish line and we just focus on whatever and lord i i do that and i'm sure many of my brothers and sisters here do that lord Bring about the change that we need. Make us bridge builders, better bridge builders. Keep our eyes fixed on that finish line. We pray in Jesus' name.